Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergy Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I introduce some content around conflict management that we use in our face-to-face leadership programs. This is our sixth content episode for season two, and also happens to be the sixth content episode of our Syngin curriculum ecosystem. One of the biggest challenges all leaders face is having the frameworks and understanding to deal with conflict in the workplace. Some leaders are naturally comfortable with this, and some are not, and that is why I personally see some value in having a framework to follow. So during the episode, I begin by exploring the differences between constructive conflict and destructive conflict. I look at why many leaders do not resolve conflict and what the consequences of that is. I take the time to introduce Bell and Hart's eight causes of conflict, which very much helps with diagnosing the root cause of conflict. And I end the episode with a process on how we can resolve conflict and some principles around mediating conflict resolution. So keep listening, and as always, we really like to hear your thoughts on our content for managing conflict. And if there is any leadership or management idea or content that you'd like me to explore on the show, please send me through an email or LinkedIn message. Now, on with the show. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergy Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. So great to be back again uh, with you for another Curriculum Ecosystem episode. And I think it's really valuable to think about this idea of conflict management. Now, it's one of the things that we do deliver in our face-to-face leadership programs, and I thought it would be useful to just sort of introduce some of the content that we deliver to people because some of the frameworks are really, really useful when you are faced with some form of conflict in the workplace. And what we know is that many leaders generally feel quite uncomfortable when it comes to dealing with conflict. So let's start with what is conflict. And, you know, one of the definitions we use is conflict management is a process of planning to avoid conflict where possible and organizing to resolve conflict where it does happen as rapidly and smoothly as possible. So essentially, what we want to do as leaders is recognize that conflict exists and do something about it. But I think it's also important that we define what conflict is. And so in our view, conflict generally occurs when different priorities or levels of self-interest prevent one or two people from achieving their goals. Occasionally, the conflict can arise from circumstances outside the control of the parties, but generally speaking, the resolution is always within their power. And what I think is important to to mention is that conflict is not always a bad thing. So in itself, conflict has no bias and the outcome is determined entirely by the behaviours and the attitudes of the people involved. So depending on how conflict is managed, it can be either constructive, in other words, cooperative, or destructive, in other words, competitive. So let's have a look at what constructive conflict could be. This is where there are behaviours that adapt to the situation, person and issues, functional and constructive. 
Many conflicts can be a mixture of competitive and cooperative factors, and constructive conflicts are able to balance the interests of both parties to maximise the opportunities for mutual gains. And I think that's the key piece here. Maximise the opportunities for mutual gains. The conflict can be constructive when both people know that they own the other's interests and goals and are willing to find a mutually acceptable outcome. So focusing on the process, not just the outcome, is one of the the key aspects of productive conflict management. And it's always interesting when I think about some of this content in relation to uh, my own leadership and the people in, in my business. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that uh, one of my business partners and I, Kate, we are very, very different and we're quite comfortable in having what we call our robust conversations. And if you're an outsider listening in, you may think, oh, there's lots of conflict there. But really what it is, is us exploring the viewpoints uh, from both of us and then coming to something which we think is the the mutually beneficial to the business, not just to our personal perspective. I think it's also relevant to think about what destructive conflict is. And these include behaviours that escalate the conflict until it seems to have a life of its own and it's just dysfunctional and destructive. And if this isn't well managed, this conflict can degenerate to the point where both parties forget the main issues and their purpose is now to get even or they can retaliate or hurt the other person. And what happens in destructive conflict, no one's satisfied with the outcome. There's no possible gains for the business or the individual. And the negative outcome is carried over to the beginning of the next conflict, which then creates just this downward spiral. So destructive conflicts are more likely to occur when behaviours come from rigid competitive systems. Whilst constructive conflict can improve team dynamics, destructive conflict can lead to a number of negative outcomes. Some of these include both people say they've moved on, but one or both secretly holds continued ill will, both parties can become disengaged, resulting in declining performance and productivity. And we know as leaders that one of our biggest roles is to deliver an outcome through the people that report to us. Another negative outcome could be that although there has been resolution, uh, if one person feels that they've got a temporary win over the other, the conflict could continue and become covert. Uh, the person that's in the wrong won't budge and needs to be removed from the team or even performance managed, leading to a decline in overall team performance. And one of the, the other outcomes is that the situation escalates, damaging your team's working relationships, and both people leave the business. Now, this isn't a great outcome for any leader and any business. So how do we go about resolving these conflicts when they arise? Well, I suppose one of the most difficult aspects of leadership is having the capability and the confidence to resolve conflict. Uh, In many cases, leaders often find themselves in a position where they do not resolve conflict which exists in their teams. And there's there's probably a number of reasons why. And I I just want to introduce five of the ones that we we believe are the most uh, relevant. Quite often we fear conflict. People avoid it because they don't like getting involved. However, if we don't address it, it's going to escalate and it potentially gets out of hand. Another reason why we don't resolve conflict could be that we don't wish to offend. And some people worry that they're going to offend others by addressing the conflict. However, not resolving it, again, may lead to people moving on or the conflict escalating. Some people don't feel as though they have the skills. So resolving conflict can be tricky. However, learning certain skills can improve the likelihood of success. Some cases we misunderstand the source. And what this means is that sometimes the issue we're resolving has nothing to do with the actual conflict. Identifying the root cause 
will ensure you address and resolve the real issues. And unfortunately, there is a very small percentage of people in the workplace where they enjoy conflict. So some people like it, they seek it out. So if you're dealing with someone like this, uh, it takes time to work through the conflict. And in reality, this time could be spent in other areas of your job. And so they're probably some of the main reasons why people don't resolve it. But there are probably uh, another group of reasons why ignoring conflict is never appropriate is you do lose an opportunity to learn. So ignoring conflict takes away any opportunity to learn and develop. Resolving conflict does provide enormous benefits for the business at both an operational and a human perspective. And by resolving it, you are learning more about the strengths and weaknesses of the people and you remove any sort of unnecessary distraction. Conflict just doesn't go away. Uh, Sometimes it may lie dormant, but eventually going to become an issue at some point in the future. Sometimes if you ignore it, it can make it worse. Uh, This this happens where you don't do anything about it. Uh, People start to believe that nobody is listening to them, nobody cares about the situation, you lose credibility as a leader, and the spiral continues. Uh, Occasionally, uh, conflict can become long-term, it becomes entrenched, and the longer the conflict becomes unresolved, the more entrenched the issue becomes. And what this means is it is much harder to resolve in the future. And just by ignoring it doesn't resolve it. So if you really want to get the most out of your team, it is vital that you do look to think about how you can resolve the conflict. So one of the the frameworks that we provide in our face-to-face leadership training is we introduce people to uh, Bell and Hart's Eight Causes of Conflict. And what we found through introducing that, that model is that people are in a, feel much more comfortable diagnosing what the root cause of it is. And if you understand what the root cause of it is, it puts you in a much better position as a leader to actually deal with this particular conflict which exists in your workplace. So I'm going to run through the, the eight uh, causes of conflict according to Bell and Hart. So the first one is uh, conflicting resources. So essentially, any organization cannot exist without an access to resources that could be physical, such as technology, office supplies, workspaces, or less tangible resources, such as knowledge, time, people. And so in most organizations, resources are limited. And this means at some point, two or more people are likely to need access to any given resource at the same time. Now, without the right attitudes and systems in place, this can lead to conflict. So what we do to deal with that is we make sure that everyone in your team has everything they need to do the jobs well. So in other words, setting them up for success. Now, this doesn't mean access to an unlimited budget. And even before you begin making a list of wants and needs, you've got to help your team build their time management prioritization skills. So it does require a bit of work, but essentially think about it. Do you have enough resources for the people in your team? Do they have access to those resources? And is this a legitimate cause of conflict? Second reason that Bell and Hart believe conflict exists is that conflicting styles. And what we know is that people are very, very different. And what we know is some people find it more challenging to celebrate the differences amongst people. So we need to understand these about people. And for example, some people love the thrill of getting things done at the last minute why others need the structure of strict deadlines to perform. 
or consider the person who works best in a very peaceful space versus the person that performs the best when the environment is filled with energy, noise, and activity. So again, it's about understanding uh, your people. And look, they're, 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 we've put out some resources in terms of uh, the podcast. So we've introduced you to the six leadership styles. And if you've been through our face-to-face programs, you know about the personality colors, personality colors model that uh, we use to just highlight some of the differences in people. So it really is about understanding. And again, to prevent and manage that type of conflict, consider people's different working styles and natural group roles when you are building your team. And any sort of personality profiling that you undertake is only going to help them understand their own motivations and tendencies, but also help them understand the people around them. So the third of Bell and Hart's eight causes of conflict is this idea of uh, conflicting perceptions. And so this is where everyone's perception of the world is a result of our experience. And we know that we are very much a product of our upbringings, our work experiences, our life experiences, the people we hang around with, the people in our families and our friends. And so perception is shaped by what you know or what you think you know. Now, not everyone will know what you know, and conflict arises when two people fail to acknowledge that there might be a different view of a situation and expect that their version is the only truth. So don't confuse perception with truth. Sometimes the two will be the same, but just as often they have differences that range anywhere from the subtle to the extreme. So gossip and lack of transparency are probably the biggest cause of perception uh, conflict, but performance reviews and customer experience will also cause conflict if perceptions vary wildly. So what we can do about that is make an effort to eliminate this conflict by communicating openly with your team, even when you have to share bad news. Uh, the more information you share with your people, the less likely it is they'll come up with their own interpretations of events. And so you build a culture of zero tolerance for gossip and office politics. Set clear expectations and always make sure that everyone understands what those expectations are. The fourth uh, cause of conflict, according to Bell and Hart, is this idea of conflicting goals. And this is where we sometimes have conflicting goals in our work or conflicting goals between teams. Uh, For instance, one of our managers might tell us that speed is the most important goal with customer, and another manager might say that in-depth, high-quality service is a top priority. And sometimes it can be a little difficult for someone to reconcile the two. And so what we need to do is make sure that we set uh, goals for the team members, and but make sure they're not conflicting with other goals set for that person or set for the other people. And again, this comes back to that idea of setting very, very clear expectations that, that everyone understands. And I'm going to suggest to you that if your own goals are unclear or you feel as though there's an element of uh, conflict in the goals that have been set for you personally, uh, speak with your manager and ask the question and talk about the fact that you see potentially these goals as uh, being in conflict with each other and try to negotiate goals that work for everyone. Now, the fifth cause of conflict, according to Bell and Hart, is this idea of conflicting pressures. And so what happens here is we often have to depend on the people we work with to get our work done. And however, sometimes when that happens, you need a report by someone by a certain time and that person's already preparing a different report for someone else by the same deadline. 
So conflicting pressures are similar to conflicting goals, and the only difference is that conflicting pressures usually involve urgent tasks, while conflicting goals typically involve projects with longer timeframes. And so I'm going to suggest that if you do suspect that people are experiencing conflict because of clashing short-term objectives, reschedule tasks and deadlines to relieve the pressure just a little. So number six in Bell and Hart's eight cause of conflict is conflicting roles. And sometimes we have to perform a task that's outside our normal role or responsibilities, and or this may cause us to step into someone else's territory. Then what can happen is conflict and power struggles can occur. Sometimes this happens in reverse. We feel that a particular task should be completed by someone else. Conflicting roles are similar to conflicting perceptions in that one team member may view a task as his or her responsibility or territory, but when someone else comes in to take over, that task conflict can occur. So if you do expect, suspect that team members are experiencing conflict over their roles, explain why you've assigned tasks or projects to each person, and you'll find that your explanation could go a long way towards remedying the pressure. And quite often you can use simple tools like a team charter to crystallise people's roles and responsibilities and to focus people on objectives. So number seven in Bell and Hart's eight cause of conflict is different personal values. And this one goes right to the heart of integrity. So being asked to perform a task or engage in an activity that is not congruent with your ethical standards is always going to trigger conflict. And initially, the conflict will be internal. Do I compromise my own integrity just to keep this person happy? But it will quickly escalate into external conflict as working against your principles is extremely corrosive. And so what you can do to avoid this is practice ethical leadership. In other words, try not to ask your team to do anything that clashes with their values or with yours. And your first line of support here will be to refer to the company values. And in most cases, you'll find that adherence to the company values will help to maintain a high level of personal integrity. And the final uh, one uh, cause of conflict in Bell and Hart's model is unpredictable policies. So very people, very few people survive, let alone do really well, in an environment of change and inconsistency. And what was right yesterday is suddenly not right today. So how can anyone make reliable decisions or maintain standards when things beyond their control are constantly changing? And so this only gets worse if you as the leader don't communicate those changes clearly to your team in a timely way. And so where confusion exists, conflict will not be far behind. So even when policies don't change, if you fail to apply them consistently with members of your team, this uh, difference in treatment will also become a source of conflict. So what you can do to avoid this is make sure that whenever rules, policies, systems, models, whatever change, that you communicate exactly what needs to be done differently and more importantly, why the policy is changing. This will allow people to understand why their rules, what they're more likely to accept the change, and then obviously once it's all in place, enforce them fairly and consistently. And so what I've found when delivering this model is that there's a little activity that we ask people to do. And whilst it uh, works really well in a group setting, I'm just going to do a slight variation of it for the podcast because I think it is uh, a good little activity to do. So what I'd like you to do is to think about uh, the last time you involved in some form of uh, conflict 
And the first thing I'd like you to do is consider which one of uh, Bell and Hart's eight does it uh, link to. So I'll run through them again. So it could be conflicting resources, could be conflicting styles, could be conflicting perceptions, conflicting goals, conflicting pressures, conflicting roles, different personal values, or unpredictable policies. So think about the last time and which one it links to. Then what I'd like you to think about is what what could you do to avoid causing this type of conflict? So in other words, what's in your control? And then the next question is, if this con- type of conflict does occur, how are you going to make sure that it's constructive, that it doesn't degenerate into destructive conflict where there are, are no winners? And then the third question I'd like you to ask yourself is what are going to be your major challenges in dealing with this conflict? And this is an important question to self-reflect on because as leaders, we have responsibilities to resolve conflict. It's part of what we do. It can be unpleasant, but it is part of what we do. And so it's important to know what our personal challenges are. And if we can understand those, well, then we can think about how best to deal with those challenges. It might be that you get some some support in. It might be that you need to think about how you can plan out your approach or whatever whatever's going to be right for you. But we do know that we can't leave conflict just to continue on. We need to do something about it. So four, four stages to the steps. Think about an example and link it to one of the, the eight. Think about what you could do to avoid causing this conflict. Think about if it does happen, how are you going to make sure it's constructive? And the final one is what are you what are going to be your major challenges around managing that type of conflict. So I wanted to give you a bit of a process in terms of some questions that you could ask yourself during the conflict resolution stage because it, it can be very, very useful to have a question set and have a framework for how you're going to uncover what the cause of conflict actually is. So the first sort of set of questions is, what would you like to see happen and what does that look like for you? So if you ask these questions one right after another so parties can describe what they want versus what they don't want, uh, someone may ask for respect, but until they describe what respectful behaviour looks like, they won't know how to deliver on the request. So by asking those two questions together, you're actually creating a better opportunity for that person to give you an answer, which is really going to start to give you some insight. Second set of two questions is, what would it take for us to be able to move move forward and how do we get there? So essentially what you're doing is you're not trying to necessarily come up with a solution, but you're trying to gauge, has that person considered what the solution might look like for them? And I think that's a key part of this is because sometimes the people that are best at resolving conflict are the people that know how to elicit the response from the people involved in the conflict. So asking that question pair will work very well for you. The third third question pair is, are you willing to share the impact this has had on you and are you willing to hear both perspectives? So again, it's are you is the person involved in the conflict able to share the impact? But will they actually sit down and listen? Because what you're asking them to do is step into the other person's shoes and hear the other person's uh, perspective. And that can be really challenging. Now, they may not necessarily agree, but at least they're interested in being able to, to hear what the other person thinks. 
And then we start to ask uh, a couple of sing- singular questions. And the first one is, what ideas do you have that would meet everyone's needs? Look, whenever you have conflict, the, the best, best, best case scenarios is always trying to create a win-win uh, scenario. So if you can aim for that, that's 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 the that's where we really want to get to. So by asking, you know, what ideas you have that would meet everyone's needs, you are encouraging them to think beyond themselves. And you follow that up by, can you tell me more about that? And so what this does is uh, allow the person who's come up with the ideas to dig a little bit deeper. And again, when you're asking these questions, you're in control of the conversation and you're eliciting responses. And at the same time, you're gaining valuable insight. And then I suppose that the final question set we'd like you to ask is, again, a two-set questions. Uh, what about this situation is most troubling you and what's most important to you? And so by asking those questions together, again, what you're doing is you're, you're digging deeper. You're really getting to the crux of the matter in that person's eyes. And by asking the questions in this particular way, you, you, you're going to get quite good answers that, that require the person to actually give it a bit of thought, not just sort of you know the first thing which comes to mind. So you're pushing the person to actually think through the conflict, not just their own perspective of the conflict. So one of the things we do do in the when we deliver this uh, content is we also introduce this idea about how to get to yes. And uh, this, this comes from a book by Fisher, Urai and Patton. And what it does is it outlines a common sense approach to negotiation. And I think that can be this can be really useful when it comes to the uh, the resolution of any sort of conflict. And this is their approach. First thing is you've got to make sure that you separate the people from the problem. And I suppose this is really about taking out ego, taking out perception, and really trying to dehumanize to a point what the actual area of conflict is. So you're really trying to deal with the problem. Ideally, you want to take out all emotion as well. Second point is that you focus on interests, not positions. And this can happen where you have conflict where there's between a manager and an employee or a manager and their manager or whatever it may be. Try to take out the positions and focus on the interests. You know, what's the most important part of the conflict from an interest point of view, not their position within the organization? Number three is generate options for mutual gain. So this is, again, where you're using the previous question set to start to come up with options. You can do this by brainstorming, by asking questions around mutual gain. You can try to make their decisions easy. And again, we're trying to create this win-win agreement. Fourth part in this model is insist on using objective criteria. And this is where we need to have fair standards, fair procedures, something which, again, takes the individual out of it and focuses it very, very much more on what the standards are, what the procedures are, what the outcome is. So the final part of this this little content episode is I wanted to give you some principles of how you can mediate conflict resolution. Uh, sometimes this is a position that you, you find yourself in and I think it's relevant to have a bit of a framework that you can sort of work through so that, again, you can deliver a better outcome. So the first thing is make sure you do some preliminary planning, scheduling, and get the room all set up. So it's all about getting the right people in the right room at the right time. And so do some legwork. Try to 
determine who's involved in the in the conflict, uh, and try to put some effort into creating an environment so that your team have the best chance to successfully resolve their issue. Uh, when you've got everyone in the room, set some ground rules and discussing your role as a neutral facilitator. Third step is about sharing perspectives. Now you want to try to mitigate emotional language and you want to encourage an environment where people are just sharing their viewpoint. Uh, the emotion level is, is dialed right down because they're not going to be making intelligent decisions if they're in a high level of uh, an emotional state. Fourth thing is, is you start building an agenda together. So again, after we've heard each other's uh, perspectives, let's start building a list of topics which acts as a compass for the rest of the meeting and provides a sort of measure for how they're progressing. As always, you want to have the negotiations in good, in good faith. So giving them in the, the space to, to brainstorm, to make proposals for solutions that benefit both of them, uh, this is what we want to achieve. If you need to hold meetings privately, you can. Uh, that will give them a sense to share their, any sensitive information they, they might have. I'm going to ask you to, when you come to this point of uh, getting the outcome, make sure that any agreement you come to has lots of details. So a detailed agreement which both parties uh, clearly accept and it doesn't leave anything to the imagination because that can cause trouble uh, further down the track. And ideally what you want to do is, is monitor this after after the mediation. So you really want to make sure whether or not the conflict has truly been resolved, uh, whether how the people are performing, are their performance levels still where they need to be. And again, it's about keeping your finger on the pulse and making sure that you are across this area of conflict. And so that, that pretty much wraps up this episode. And again, I'm going to encourage you, if you, if you want uh, some 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 materials on this, please feel free, shoot me through an email, shoot me through a LinkedIn message, either one's fine. And I'm happy to share with you some of the content which we use when uh, delivering this content in a face-to-face. Now, as you can imagine, uh, this type of content does have more power when you deliver it face-to-face because it's a very much a person-to-person uh, issue that we have as leaders. But I do want to encourage you to think about particularly using that Bell and Heart model as a way of diagnosing conflict, understanding conflict, and importantly, doing something about it. There's nothing worse than leaving it to chance, not doing anything about it, because you also start to lose credibility in the eyes of the people that uh, are in your team. So there's absolutely no value as a leader in, in ignoring conflict. So hopefully, I imagine that would be uh, of some use for you. As always, love to hear what you think. Uh, Bye for now. That wraps up episode 74 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another content and curriculum ecosystem episode for you. I'd like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode. Tell us who you'd like us to interview or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free to head on over to the Apple site and leave us a review. It really does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another great interview for you where I chat with Yvette Cordy, author of Cultivating Curiosity, How to Unearth Your Most Valuable Problem to Inspire Growth. It's another great author-interviewed episode. So until then, love to hear what you think. Happy listening.